Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Helen Scales, marine biologist and a writer. And I'm Shay Rhodes. I'm a journalist and filmmaker. And this is Earth Unscrewed. This living planet of ours is just jaw-droppingly amazing. And we're not exactly taking care of it, are we? We've got oceans full of plastic, species dying out at a phenomenal rate, whole ecosystems being destroyed as we speak. Our daily lives are affecting this incredible place. And I guess the big question is, well, is it too late? We're going to find out a bit more about sustainable projects which could fix the problems. And hopefully unscrew the planet. So this morning I woke up and I think as a rule every morning when I wake up I pick up my mobile phone which is plugged in and I pick it up and I instantly start to draw electricity probably before I've really sat up. Yeah, and I, I think we all do now really, don't we? Is the first thing you go for. It wakes you up because it's the alarm. Mm. And then, yeah, and it sort of kickstarts your day. Yep, and then there's every single light in the house goes on sometime in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, the radio goes on for us. So we have music in the house and, oh, yep. of course, the, the coffee has to be made and that's yep, kettle. kettle. Yep, kettle goes on. And then obviously once we get here, it's just like one big electric kind of minefield. We're in a little uh, radio dungeon. No, it's nicer than that, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> all yep. microphones, recorders. Yeah, this whole podcast is brought to you for the power of electricity. Absolutely. It really is hard to imagine our lives without electricity. But in many parts of the world, this is the reality. And sub-Saharan Africa is the only region in the world where the number of people without electricity is actually set to rise in the coming years. And it's a problem because when people don't have access to electricity, they burn dirty fuels like diesel and kerosene, and that has huge implications on air quality and people's health. So in this programme, we'll be asking, can electric power empower? With a special focus on Kenya in East Africa. Now, obviously, this is a huge question that isn't going to have a simple answer. Kenya is a hugely diverse country and the challenge, of course, is complex. But we'll be talking to two experts approaching the challenge in different ways to try and get a flavour of the various ideas and approaches that are taking shape across the country. So Asembo is it's a pretty small village. That's the voice of Crystal Adera Okudo, dialing in all the way from her office in Nairobi, Kenya. She's an energy finance specialist there. She's talking about the village of Asembo Kanigoro, where she grew up, a place ranked among the poorest in Kenya. So when I talk about my specific village, that's about 50 homesteads. There's no paved roads. It's very dry and very dusty. Uh, it's a very, very sunny region. And so there wasn't much agricultural activity that was taking place prior to electricity. People really didn't have 
very many careers that you know they could even consider. Many of the women from Assemble are mostly housewives, and those who do trade, they trade in pottery and pots, handmade pots, and that was really just the limit for so many women there who grew up there and ended up staying there. And you know, same for the men. Most of the men are fishermen because Assemble borders are Lake Victoria. And other than that, there wasn't much activity that was taking place. We hadn't had any electricity before in the area, even though this area is located uh, pretty close to, you know, to big towns and big cities where there's electric connections. The Kenyan government was constrained at the time, and they still are, in expanding the grid to some of these, you know, nearby locations that perhaps have very small populations and don't necessarily justify the government going out to put up, you know, a power plant. And so anyways, this is my hometown village. It's, you know, a place that's very close to my heart. I know so many of the families from around there. And I was just really struck by the level of poverty and the level of, you know, really low economic activity. And that was really limiting people, and it was even limiting, you know, people's imaginations of what they could dream to do for themselves. So I, you know, being in the sector, became very inquisitive and started to investigate what it would take to get our own substation so that we could, you know, extend the electric lines to everyone in the village. And installing one of these substations is about 900,000 shillings, which is just under 10,000 US dollars. This was really pricey and is something that many villages wouldn't even consider investing in because this was really something that far exceeded incomes in the area. But, you know, I was very eager. So we met with the village, uh, with the elders. We had representation from every homestead. And I pitched the idea that, you know, we could get this substation if we divided the payments um, into much smaller monthly payments and every household would contribute. Mostly everyone at the meeting was encouraged. Just seeing how the payments spread out over time would make the goal very feasible. But it was a collaborative effort and it was wonderful because at the end we came up with the amount. We got our own substation and now my hometown village of Assemble has been connected to power and it's been really wonderful just watching the developments and the new businesses that have sprung up, carpentry businesses and several other ones that have sprung up as a result of this new electricity connection. I think one of the big businesses that sprung up as a result of, of the new electricity connection is furniture businesses. Um, before, much of this was being made by hand and the, you know, carpenters were only making, you know, very small items. But now that there's electricity, people are able to use electric saws and this is happening. So people are making a lot neater furniture and it's actually an actual like industry that's really sprung up. and. There's so much furniture being made that some of it is even being sent into like Nairobi and into Kisumu and other surrounding larger cities. And this is all coming out of Assemble. She sounds incredibly proud, doesn't she? It's amazing. I have got this sort of picture in my mind of this wonderful bustling furniture production line now that they're able to make really mm. high quality really big bits of furniture and make more money out of it. And 
just because of the electricity. It's incredible. Absolutely. And you can imagine that sort of having massive knock-on effects. You know, a boy growing up in that village now can look at older people and say, well, they've got jobs working as carpenters. Perhaps they could take me on as an apprentice and they actually have enough work and potentially enough money to be able to do that. Power is empowering people so much and it really highlights how unlevel the playing field is when people don't have power versus when they do. As Crystal put it so beautifully, electric power is empowering. It's a basic right. Crystal thinks it's a government responsibility, not a luxury to be enjoyed by the privileged. But this podcast is all about unscrewing the earth. The grid is only as clean as the power plants supplying the electricity. So if the power plants are burning fossil fuels, it's what we'd call a dirty grid. But if the grid is supplied by renewables like wind or solar, it's a clean grid and it's doing its bit to unscrew the planet. So how about in Kenya? How clean is that grid? Kenya does pretty well. Our grid is 50% geothermal now, and I'd say about another 30% renewable. And then the remaining 20% is still diesel power generation. Not bad. So does this mean that we should focus on getting places hooked up to the grid, making the grid cleaner, and forget about off-grid renewable stuff like solar panels and wind turbines in villages? I'm a strong supporter of expanding the national grid and, you know, complementing that with renewable energy. I totally advocate for people having just that baseload power that can power businesses so that if, if anyone wanted to, to introduce a business that had high electricity needs, then they would be able to and the grid would support that. In other words, Crystal believes that the national grid should provide basic power. And extra power can be generated locally by renewables like solar panels. So, for example, farmers in Assembo are using solar to power their irrigation systems and good electricity to power their smartphones to trade their crops. So it's not an either-or situation. But then Assembo was only 280 metres from the grid. So although getting hooked up was a bit pricey, it was at least possible. What about more remote places? How can they get electricity? Of course, there's some villages and some towns that are really way too far away to consider expanding the grid at this point. And those are places in which I would prioritise renewable energy. And that brings us nicely to our next guest, Simon Bransfield-Garth from Azuri Tech, a company bringing solar to places that the grid is unable to reach. Welcome into the studio, Simon. Tell us about yourself. Thank you. Well, I'm CEO of a company called Azuri Technologies based in Cambridge in the UK. And we're trying to do something about the challenge of the billion people around the world who don't have any access to electricity. I think people are now realising that the grid is great in very high-density areas in cities, but actually in rural areas, it's cheaper to provide power as a standalone. And it, it turns out that the cost of a solar home system with lights, fridge, smartphone, whatever is about the same as the cost of just the piece of wire to go about 250 metres to the grid. So actually, if you're more than 250 metres away from the grid, which of course many, many people are, then it's simply cheaper to have standalone solar power. And we did some calculations and we figured out that people were spending a really large amount of money on kerosene and candles to light their houses. And... We wonder why that was. And it's kind of interesting. When you think about renewable power, one of the challenges with renewable power is that you don't buy the power. You buy your own power station. The power is free. 
but it's the power station you have to buy. And the challenge is, if you don't have capital, you can't afford to do that. So we came up with the idea of paying for your renewable power station, if you like, on a pay-as-you-go basis in the same way as you pay for your phone on a pay-as-you-go basis. And that was something we started uh, six years ago, and we now have 130,000 customers uh, across sub-Saharan Africa. Wow, that's amazing. To make this work, we have to develop incredibly efficient devices. So we have you know, the most efficient LED lights you can get. We've got. And so that innovation, that driver to go beyond the ordinary is something that's happening in, in emerging markets. And, and I think it'll find its way elsewhere. So how is this affecting people's lives already? What kind of changes are you seeing with people who are getting access to these sources of electricity and technologies? It's quite remarkable. The impact is immediate because you know, before you have solar light, you've got nasty, smelly kerosene lamps and, and candles and so on. And immediately the day afterwards, you can see at night and you don't have the fumes and you don't have all the health impacts and, and so on. And we actually have a testimony here from Felix, who's become a local agent working for Azuri Tech. Here's his reflection on how solar has transformed his life. Yeah, in the past, we used to use a, more, a lot of money in buying kerosene because where we live, we really don't have electricity. We had some effects of those kerosene. You get some people, children having problems with their chest. They were coughing all the time. During the, the, the windy season, it just go, it blows out. But since the introduction of Azuri, our life has really changed. What we found is that people use that capability just as a starting point, and, and they kind of reinvest it. So kids, on average, spend between one and two hours extra doing homework every night. It's entirely normal for a kid to go from sort of middling in their class to top of their class just because they're doing that much more work every night. Similarly, people are able to keep their businesses going. So people will be able to, instead of shutting their store at six, they can shut their store at nine. And we have a clip here from Joyce Lenguri, who runs a small shop in the village of Merili in Kenya, about how solar has helped her to grow her business. So Joyce is speaking Swahili, and for those of you like me who aren't fluent, she's saying that before she started using Azuri lights, she would close her business early and go home. But now she can carry on selling things until there are no more customers. And she can also open up much earlier in the morning to sell people their sugar and milk for their breakfast. So that's great. And so we very much take the view that actually what we need to do is to create a sustainable, vibrant economy. And the starting point, of course, was that we were able to make it cheaper to get solar power than the kerosene that you started with. So tell me about the business model then of Azuri. How do you get started in a new market? Pretty much we turn up. Right. Um, yeah, so we find partners locally that we work with because we need to find that local knowledge, those local contacts, the trust relationships and so on. And we have a quick clip from one of Azuri's agents working in Kenya. Florence shares her experience of travelling to a remote mountainous village northeast of Nairobi to sell Azuri's pay-as-you-go solar home kits. The furthest I've gone is Donyo Sabuku, an area I've never been before. I communicated with the customer for several hours, but at long last, I reached my destination. 
where the motorbike could not take me there, I had to walk up the hill to the customer's house. Those people not only sell the products to the customers, they also support them over time. And it's much more effective to have a network of trusted people in the village where people can literally go talk to somebody and show people you know, how things are and so on. As a result of that, we get very good repayment rates. So normally our systems, we put them in free of charge, typically. The customer then pays back a sum of money. It's normally £2 a week, something like that. Um, using mobile money, and then after a period of time, typically 18 months, 24 months, then they own the equipment. In the case of Azuri, we put the equipment in your house free of charge, and if for some reason it doesn't work, you stop paying. So essentially you've got no risk. All that risk has transferred to us. And what it means is that we have to go out of our way to make absolutely sure that you're going to love our product you know, every single day. Awesome. And um, I don't mean to question the robustness of your kit mm-hmm. or anything, but I wonder how, how well does it do these sorts of devices survive in those various different, presumably quite challenging conditions? Yeah. I mean, if, if it's anything like everything else I've ever seen in, in rural areas of uh, various parts of the world, someone will make it work somehow. There will be someone who fixes it. Maybe another economy builds up over, over fixing glitches and this and that. Mm. Are you seeing any of that sort of coming out? So... So a lot of it starts with how you design it in the first place. So if you think of a a sort of a retail product, in the most simplistic terms, the manufacturer's principal objective is to make sure it lasts one day longer than the warranty. In a Pago-type model, the cost to us of going back to a customer to fix a product or, or whatever is very high. So we actually design products which are over-engineered and over-designed to have a very long life. So to give you an example, if you had a typical lead-acid battery, it would probably last about 12 months before you had to replace it. We use some special lithium polymer batteries, which are going to last at least 10 years, possibly 15 years, before they need to be replaced. Um, So broadening it out a little bit, is there an opportunity for for places like sub-Saharan Africa to maybe leapfrog the Western world in terms of being chained to very dirty technologies, fossil fuels, that kind of thing? I mean, I think there really is. I, I, I think we're already seeing examples of technologies that have taken root in Africa first. And just from a practical point of view, the easiest technology to deploy actually turns out to be some of the best technology to go and deploy. So it's very likely that significant parts of uh, of Africa, certainly for domestic use at least, will not need fossil fuels for, for electricity. And so the most cost-effective solution is actually the most modern and you know, currently ideal solution. Mm. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Very cool. It is, yeah. Simon, thank you very much. It's been hugely illuminating, eye-opening, and uh, good luck for the future. Thank you very much. Great pleasure to be here. So it's been really interesting in this whole episode to speak to two people who've got quite different opinions, or not opinions, but approaches to this particular problem of providing electricity and everything that comes with it uh, to people in different situations. And it kind of strikes me that it really shows that there isn't going to be one solution to this. And it really depends on where this is and exactly how far the grid is away from a particular place and and that solar and other renewables can kind of fit into that picture as well. 
So we don't need to necessarily just say it's one or the other. These things can be kind of combined. Absolutely. And it feels like uh, there's the opportunity for, you know, for, for villages to grow, for instance. You know, a village with no electricity, no access to the grid could start off with solar. Um, and as, you know, children become more educated because they can stay up and do homework longer and more and more uh, opportunities come to them, they can then start thinking about starting businesses that might require more electricity, which in itself would require the grid. But they don't have to wait for the grid, is my point. Um, and so in many ways, while Crystal and Simon seem to have competing visions, actually, from my point of view, they're pretty much identical. They're just focused at different points of, of the journey. Yeah, and they're definitely... Uh in their own ways, finding how electricity is changing people's lives and opening up, as you say, these incredible opportunities. I feel really excited about the idea of the more decentralised approach, mm. or at least having that as part of the solution. So to the question at the heart of this episode, can everyone be empowered by electric power? I'll let Crystal have the last word on that. Well, within the next 30 years, I would love to see the entire continent electrified. <laughs> I think that it's possible. I think that it's also quite realistic, given all the policy changes that we're seeing on the continent. Many more governments are taking climate change and just electrification specifically a lot more seriously. So I'm optimistic and I, and I do see every African having access to power within the next 30 years. A positive final note there from Crystal. So although we focused on just one country in this episode, it's important to remember that different countries and regions across Africa are taking different and equally exciting approaches to the challenge of clean energy. So, for instance, there's a solar power plant in Egypt that's already supplying two million people with electricity. While in Ghana, the Ada wind project will hopefully generate a huge amount of clean energy when it comes online in 2019. Then in South Africa, there are some pretty innovative projects. Startups such as the amazing Shakti are piloting pedal-powered energy, while BioCycle are hoping to find a way to extract clean fuel from human waste. So ultimately, there's loads of optimism that regions that need to tackle the problem of energy access can also lead the clean energy revolution, making full use of the amazing amount of sunshine, wind power and geothermal energy available. And this could help unscrew the planet while boosting the emerging economies. So that's it for this episode of Earth Unscrewed. If you're interested in reading up more about the topics covered in this programme, head to our website where we'll put a few links to interesting articles on the topic. And we're also putting some links up to other companies who, like Azuri, are providing solar power in regions across Kenya. For instance, African Solar, Solar Tech and ENF Solar. Thanks for listening and catch you next time. See ya, bye. Bye.